The book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to be studying this evening. Exodus, exit us is the way to think about this book. This is about the exit of God's people from the land of Egypt. So uh, that's kind of the big picture understanding of this book. But as you get into the book, one thing that's really interesting is the very first word of the Hebrew uh, is the word and. It starts with and. Uh, so we don't start our English language with and. Like any sentence starting with an and is supposed to be wrong, right? Well, the whole book of Exodus starts with and. Why would it do that? Because this is a continuation of Genesis. This is a continuation of all the things that we studied last week in the book of Genesis. Uh, this is, you know, it didn't end in Genesis, and now we're starting a new book about a new people who are in a different land. No, this is all just the same storyline continuing on. Uh, we left off in the book of Genesis with kind of this question, what's going to happen to Jacob's 12 sons and their families uh, who, are, who are now in Egypt? You remember Abraham was given the promises of blessing and then those promises were given to Isaac and those promises were given to Jacob and then Jacob was blessed with 12 sons and they all moved down to Egypt and in order to escape the famine and Jacob dies he he gets his bones carried back to the promised land and Joseph dies and says take my bones back to the promised land when God visits his people uh, so there's this picture of we're in Exodus we're in Egypt, sorry, and God is going to take us out of Egypt and return us into uh, the promised land, into the land of Canaan. So we're left kind of wondering, when is that going to happen and how is that going to happen? Well, it turns out, if you look uh, more in depth and in detail in the book of Genesis, you'll see that God had always planned for his people to, to sojourn for this period of time. Uh, in, back in Genesis 15, 13 through 15, as God is promising Abraham that he's going to make his seed into a big nation of people and bless them, and, and they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, he tells his people, he tells Abraham, your people will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs for 400 years. But he says, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. They're going to be oppressed in the nation, that, in the land that is not theirs. I will bring judgment on them. And afterward, they shall come out of that land with great possessions. And, and he tells Abraham, you're going to go to your forefathers in peace. You're going to die in peace. So there's a prediction in Genesis 15 that this very event of going off to Egypt and needing to be saved from Egypt was going to happen. So as we open up Exodus, we see uh, that all of Israel was 70 people going into uh, the end of Genesis, coming down into Egypt, became this huge multitude in Egypt in the first chapter of Exodus. Uh, they start multiplying like crazy, uh, and, and eventually they get to such a huge number that the Egyptians are terrified of the nation of Israel. They've got a whole nation of people that is stronger and uh, bigger in number than the Egyptians, and they're living on Egyptian soil. Uh, you can imagine the fear of a, a nation like that rising up against and conquering your own people. 
So they're afraid of the Israelites because of the huge uh, multiplication that God has caused them. They've had multiple children in every family to where now they're numbering over a million people. They go from 70 to over a million people. And now uh, the Egyptians decide, a Pharaoh comes around that does not know Joseph and is not aware of all that. He just sees all these Israelites in the land that are more numerous than the Egyptians. He decides to set up policies where all the sons can be aborted. He at first goes to the midwives and says, after they bear a son, you must kill the, the son. And the midwives say, yes, we will, but they don't do it. They rebel against the Pharaoh, and they, they make up a story saying, oh, these, these Hebrew women are so strong that they have the baby before we even get there. So uh, they don't have to kill the son because they didn't have the opportunity to kind of do it secretly. Well, then Pharaoh just gets more blazoned, and he decides, uh, well, then fine, we're going to throw all the sons into the Nile. That's, this is a command for all the Israelites. Throw your sons into the Nile River. Uh, essentially abort all sons who were Israelites. And, and so this is uh, oppression. This is the, the sense of uh, judgment on God's people and, and uh, persecution on God's people that, that now God sees and God wants to do something with, and we'll see that. But after that, we, or in the midst of that, we see a story about a man named Moses. Uh, he is a, he's a baby in, in Exodus chapter 2. And his mother puts him into the Nile, but she puts him into a basket and then puts him into a Nile. And the word basket is also called ark. It's, a, it's the same Hebrew word as ark. He puts, she puts him into an ark and puts him off into the Nile. And then the, the princess, the daughter of Pharaoh, finds him and ends up raising him in her house. So all of these Israelite babies are being put to death, but Moses is drawn out of the water, and this is what his name means, drawn out, and he is saved by Pharaoh's own daughter. Well, Moses grows up, and he ends up becoming a prominent man among the Egyptians, but he ends up uh, trying to rebel against the Egyptians, not, worry, not, not loving the pleasures of being an Egyptian. He wants to be with his people. He wants to save his people, but his people end up rejecting him. And so even though he is uh, brought up in Pharaoh's house and everything seems to be going well for him, he seeks to, to, just, to, to rectify the wrongs that are being done on his own people. He seeks to step in and bring about the salvation that God had promised and the blessing that God had promised to his people, but they reject him. So he escapes, and for 40 years he lives in a place called Midian uh, where he is a shepherd. And, and while he's there, God sees all the bad that is being done to his people. In chapter 2, verse 24, it says, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You get a picture that God remembers all those promises and all those blessings, and, and it is now a time that God is wanting to act. So we see in chapter 3 that God, after he sees their suffering, he comes to Moses in Midian with a mission. The mission is uh, to, to save God's people. God is going to bring about the salvation, the redemption of his people. And so he speaks to Moses to bring this about, and Moses is terrified. Moses doesn't think uh, that he can do it. In fact, he's, he doesn't think he's eloquent enough in speech to be convincing in order to convince the people to follow God and, and also in order to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. So he struggles with this, and God is compassionate toward Moses and says, 
uh, I'll send your brother with you. And you will be like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be like a prophet uh, that speaks for you. So Moses and Aaron are going to go tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. And, and God gives Moses the staff, and he tells him, you're going to work some powerful signs in order to convince Pharaoh to let my people go. And I'm going to harden his heart. So you're going to have to keep doing signs so that I'm, I'm going to be glorified in all this work that I'm doing uh, to show my power among all of mankind. And so this is what God does. And whenever we get to uh, chapter 7 we see God starting to deliver on those promises that he made to Moses. He starts to deliver great plagues on the Egyptians. Now, before that happens, right before that happens, the people uh, are, uh, Moses goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I'm not going to do that. Oh, you guys must be lazy. I'm going to add more burden to you. And so you see Pharaoh is this evil person uh, who is very oppressive towards God's people. But then God comes back in chapter 7 with all of these plagues. And you see uh, a number of plagues, 10 plagues in all. First of all, he turns the water into blood, and then he sends down frogs that are all over the place. Uh, and, and then gnats, uh, flies, uh, a, a plague on the livestock so that they die, boils on their bodies, hail coming down that kills their crops, and then locust that comes and finishes off their crops, and then darkness in all the land for three days. So a number of plagues, nine plagues happen uh, to try to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go, but Pharaoh hardens his heart over and over and over again. He says, yes, I'll let you go, just, just, just relieve us of this plague. And then Moses does uh, ask for God to relieve them, and then another plague, and then they, they reject it. He rejects again the will of God, and he tries to keep God's people, because that's his slave force, uh, and he does not let them go. So God brings another plague, and then this happens again and again and again, until we get to the final plague, uh, where Mo Moses prepares God's people for this plague. This is going to be the final plague. So he tells the people to prepare for that plague because once that plague happens, you need to be ready because Pharaoh is going to send you out and they're going to try to push you out of Egypt uh, in order to get rid of the Israelites because they will hate the fact that the Israelites are even there. Uh, God is going to bring about the death of the firstborn. All the firstborn in the land are going to die in one night. And so he tells his Israelites to prepare for this by killing a Passover lamb and putting the blood of that lamb over the doorpost so that the people of Israel would not endure the judgment of, the, the, of when God comes to kill the firstborn. And so all over Egypt, the firstborn are dying left and right. And there's great cries in the middle of the night because people are dying. But all throughout Israel, nobody's dying. And in fact, the Egyptians give Israel all kinds of possessions, gold and silver and jewelry, and they take a great plunder as though they conquered the city. Uh, and, and they end up are being told by Pharaoh to get out of the land, just as God had promised when Pharaoh himself loses his own firstborn son. This event institutes the Passover 
that, that will be remembered throughout the generations of God's people. And as we come to chapter 13, we see that Passover being instituted along with the, the feast of the unleavened bread and the consecration of the firstborn from here on out, uh, that they would have to pay, uh, um, uh, or give a sacrifice for every firstborn child, every firstborn animal, that they all belong to God because God is the one who saved them from this, uh, this slavery and oppression. Later in, in the chapter 13, we see God start to lead his people. As they come out of Egypt, God leads them, uh, verse 17, uh, by the way of, uh, that, that not by the way of the Philistines. Notice how he says this. Um, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. You see, it's an 11-day journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan. And this is what Numbers tells us, an 11-day journey. And it ends up taking them 40 years to get to the promised land, as we're going to see uh, in the book of Numbers, because of their rebellion. But God here explains why he doesn't just take them directly through. If he would have taken them directly through the land of the Philistines, they would have had to go up in war against the Philistines. And the people are so oppressed and discouraged because of their time in Egypt, that they would just want to go back to Egypt. They would be terrified and afraid of entering into the land uh, of the Philistines and fighting them in battle. But God is, he leads them away from the, the land of Canaan toward the wilderness and actually toward the Red Sea with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And this is a way that he's commonly going to lead the people, but he leads them this way and he, he tells them exactly where to go, but he runs them into kind of a dead end and everybody's like, what's going on? And the Egyptians are like, oh wow, they don't know where they're going. Let's go take them back, right? They harden their heart again thinking we can surely take them back, but God has something else in store. As they're there by the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming in close, God brings a cloud so that the Egyptians can't see. And the people are complaining, like, what are you doing? We've come out here to die. And, and God brings a cloud so that the Egyptians can't see. And then he tells Moses, touch the water with your staff and the waters part. And the people of Israel go across on dry ground. Well, the Egyptians finally make it in, up to the Red Sea, and they start to cross the Red Sea, but their wheels get stuck. The ground isn't as dry. It's more muddy. And then their chariots start to break, and they're unable to travel very fast. And after God gets them all in there, he brings the waters crashing down on the enemies of God, and Israel safely makes it across uh, without, without enduring any, any suffering whatsoever. So here God saves uh, his people by finishing off the Egyptians and bringing them through the water to safety. Then we get, and that's chapter 14 of Exodus. Chapter 15, we see the song of Moses. Moses sings a song of victory, and, and Miriam plays the tambourine, and she sings a song as well, uh, exalting God for the great salvation that he has provided his people. Uh, and it's, it's really great. It would be great if the story just ended there, or uh, it went to uh, everything was great and everything was fine. But after that, the people almost immediately start to complain. They go to a, an area that has water, Mara, and they try to get some water there, and they find out that that water was bitter. And so they complain, and they grumble at Moses, saying, what are we going to drink? And so Moses throws a log, and God tells him, 
throw a log in and it'll make the water sweet. So he throws a log in, the water becomes sweet. And God promises them uh, that if you will listen to my words and do what I say, none of the plagues of the Egyptians are going to come upon you. I am going to be good to you. And then they come to the area called Elam. And there's an oasis there with seven uh, seven springs and 70 palm trees. It's just this beautiful place. And he gives them a little taste. This I can provide for you. I can do all this for you. Well, chapter 16, they start to get hungry. And they, they grumble again against Moses. And then God responds by bringing them manna down from heaven and quail at evening in order to, to satisfy their hunger and provide them with everything they need. Well, in chapter 17, we see them grumble again. They don't have water. And so God tells Moses to strike a rock and water comes out of the rock and God again provides for his people. He's leading them along the way as they go from place to place. He's providing their food. He's providing their drink. He's giving them life and keeping them alive throughout all of this. Well, about that time, the Amalekites attack the people. The Amalekites would have been just a little ways north of where the people are and and they see them and they come down to attack, but God fights for the people. And as long as Moses is holding up the staff, the people led by Joshua are defeating the Amalekites. But as he starts to drop the staff, they start to lose. So Aaron and Hur go and they hold up Moses' hand so that the people can defeat the Amalekites. In chapter 18, we see that Moses is given uh, some help in order to uh, delegate all of the, the laws and all of the rules and, and to kind of settle all the disputes among the people. You imagine you've got a million people. There's going to be problems along the way. There's going to be fussing. There's going to be fighting. And, and Moses has been trying to handle all that himself. Well, Jethro encourages him to delegate that to the elders of the people, and that's exactly what he does. And that gets us to chapter 19. Now, chapter eight, the first 18 chapters have been all about bringing the people out of Egypt and bringing them into the wilderness and into the area where we find Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. This is, this is a hugely important picture, a hugely important idea in all the Old Testament to understand God brought his people to Mount Sinai. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Well, this is where God would uh, explain his intentions, explain his purposes, explain why he has done all of this since the time of Abraham. All these promises have been made and what God has in mind in doing all of this to create a nation for himself. Look with me at chapter 19, verse 3. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and it says, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him, out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests." And a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people 
of Israel. Here Moses is given an understanding of why God has brought them to Mount Sinai. He wants to have a special group of people and the Israelites are it. The, he wants them to be his treasured possession. And as long as they will keep his commands, he will continue to protect them and provide for them just as he has been able to protect them and provide for them uh, when the Egyptians were coming to attack. So there is a, a, an understanding that God is trying to create a group of people who will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation that go out into the midst of God's whole earth and share the news about God and understanding of who God is. Notice the words, you, you shall be to me a treasured possession among all peoples. This is what God wants. He wants a group of people who he can treasure, who he can love, who he can shower the blessings on. And this is what he tells Israel they're meant for. This is why they were created. Well, the people, not surprisingly, say, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Verse 7, uh, all the people answered together and say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep all your commandments. That sounds great. I want you to be my God because you have provided so much. And so God responds to that by, by telling Moses, consecrate the people and gather them to me around the mountain. And he says, but don't touch the mountain. And then, and then uh, he tells Moses again. He brings, brings Moses up and he tells Moses again, don't touch the mountain. <laughs> he says it twice to make sure the people understand you don't touch the mountain. I'm coming down to meet with you. I'm coming down to speak to you and to tell you my law. And so God comes down to the mountain and the, the trumpet uh, of his, his voice is like this loud trumpet that just grows louder and louder. It's like thunders and lightning and all this fire and everything and the cloud descends on the mountain and he starts to speak. And the words he speaks are the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. He gives all ten of the Ten Commandments. And in verse 18, all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, but God has come to test you. That, your, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now Moses goes up to the mountain to speak with God because the people have determined we're not able to listen to God speak. Like they are terrified of God. So this was an attempt to, tr to train the people, to test the people, to help the people understand that they should have a proper amount of fear when they talk to God and when God talks to them. God is holy. They cannot just approach God. God is not like the gods of Egyptians. They have had these gods of the Egyptians uh, over and over again. They've learned about the gods of the Egyptians and been around the idol worshipers of the Egyptians. But God is not like those gods. And he makes it very clear as he himself speaks to the people. And, and they are terrified. But notice he speaks to them. He tells them the Ten Commandments. These are the laws of the covenant relationship that God wants to have with his people. And so you go through all ten of these commandments, you understand God does not want us to worship idols or worship anything else, no other gods. He does not want us to uh, murder. He does not want us to steal. He wanted uh, the, the Israelites to obey their father and mother, to not commit adultery, uh, to not bear false witness, to not 
not covet anything that they see that does not belong to them. And all of these rules and regulations and everything are added to uh, as Moses goes up onto the mountain in order to receive additional laws. And in at the end of chapter 20, you see laws about making altars. Chapter 21, laws about slaves. Uh, then laws about restitution if somebody does you wrong. In chapter 22, you see that as well. Somebody steals something from you. Somebody bears false witness. And and take advantage of, uh, you know, the fact that nobody can see what's going on. This is how you were to respond uh, if they pervert justice, if there's some kind of injustice in society. God gives all these laws to Moses to try to help the people to be established as a people. And these laws are, are tremendous laws for the time. There are laws from other countries throughout that time, but these are wonderful laws that God gives to his people to help train them and to help them to be righteous before all the nations of the earth. And then he gives laws about Sabbaths and he gives laws about festivals uh, in chapter 23. In chapter 23, verse 20, he starts to tell them about the promises that he is making to them. If you keep all these laws, verse 22, if you're careful to obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. There's this promise in the midst of this of blessing that I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take, a, I'm going to stand up for you. I'm going to conquer all of the enemies that are in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, the, the Amorites, all these people are going to fall before you because I will be your God. And Moses comes down to the mountain and he relays all these words to the people But in chapter 24. But notice the first verse of chapter 24. He says, uh, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses uh, alone will come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So, you see at the beginning of chapter 24, before he sends Moses down, he says, after you tell them this, I want you to come back up with Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and all the elders, and, and I want all those people to come up and worship me from afar. Well, that's interesting, and, and we'll see a little bit more about that. But verse 3 through verse 8, Moses tells the people all these laws. And in verse 7, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. The people agree to all the laws that are given. But then we have something amazing, okay? Uh, in, chapter, in verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel go up, and it says, verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. You see, now they're in a covenant relationship, and there's a feast to commemorate the covenant between God and his people. They have agreed to the laws of God, and now he has brought up all the elders to commemorate the covenant that they're now in with a feast. And then Moses continues up and leaves those men uh, at that point on the mountain, and then he goes up a little bit further, and he stays up on the mountain. The cloud, he stays waiting for God for six days, and then on the seventh day, God comes down, and he goes up into the cloud for 40 days 
and 40 nights. And this, and, and this time, as he goes up into the cloud again, he starts to learn about how the people are going to worship him, how the people are going to have a relationship with God, like the elders and, uh, and Nadab and Abihu and the priests have had. And so he starts to explain the sanctuary, the tabernacle to the people. He describes the covenant. He describes the, the table for the bread, the lampstands, uh, how the, the construction of the tabernacle would be, the altar of, of bringing sacrifices to the Lord, and the court where the priests would come in, and the oil and, and all the priest's garments. He just describes all of these different aspects of the tabernacle where man would worship God and where God would be able to be with man again. Now, remember in Genesis, that was taken away. The people were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They had no access to God. And now we see there is a relationship between man and God again. Some level of reconciliation has taken place. And so God has created this. In chapter uh, 30 and 31, you have more of the description of the tabernacle and then the Sabbath being described. And then Moses is told to go down after learning about all this tabernacle. And he finds out that while he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights learning about how the people were going to have a relationship with God, it's going to be amazing he finds out, as he comes down with Joshua, that the people are making all kinds of noise, making all kinds of ruckus. And, and they talk about, what kind of noise? Are they in battle? No, they're playing. They're enjoying themselves. And he finds out that the people had grown impatient, waiting for Moses, and told Aaron, make us a god that we might worship. And Aaron fashions them a golden calf to worship. Well, that's not at all what God had commanded. God commanded them not to do that, not to fashion anything or to build anything to represent him. And he, gave, he was giving Moses instructions on how to worship properly while they were doing all of this the wrong way. And so God tells Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all, and I'm going to start over with you. And, and, and Moses says, no, you can't do that. Remember uh, that you have redeemed them already from Egypt and you made all these promises to Abraham and, and the people will, uh, of the lands will think that you couldn't bring the people, your own people, into the land, that you had to destroy your own people. And that would not go well. That would not be to your glory. And Moses uh, intercedes for the people in chapters 32 and, and, and 33 and 34. He speaks to God for the people and tries to get God to hold back his hand and to keep from bringing wrath on the people who have completely rebelled against the covenant that they just made. They're worthy of death. But Moses intercedes for the people. And then after that, God says, okay, you can, you, can go to, you can go to the Canaan land now, but I'm not going to go with you because you're too unholy. I can't have that relationship with you. Very similar to Eden. I, you're, you're not honoring me. You're not doing the things that I've commanded you to do. And Moses pleads with God and says, please go with us. And God says, okay, I'll go with you because you have found favor in my sight, Moses. I'll go with you. So then Moses says, God... Show me your glory. Wait a second, what? <laughs> Show me your glory. Well, what is he talking? Why does he say that? I don't know. What's going on here? Well, Moses is confused, as we probably all get, because there's this God who is uh, holy and righteous and good, and yet he is 
not judging his people when they're worthy of judgment. He's not destroying them when they're worthy of destruction. How could he do that? I don't understand you. I don't, I don't understand who you are. And he says, show me your glory. And, and God says, okay, I, I can't show you all of my glory, but I'll give you a picture of it. In chapter 34, in verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here's the way he describes himself. I am a God of mercy and compassion and grace, of steadfast love and faithfulness, but I'm not going to justify those who do evil in my sight. It turns out Moses, after he sees this whole event with the golden calf, he crushes the golden calf, he, he, he powders the gold and he, runs, he throws it in water and makes the people drink it and then he sends out Levites to kill those who are most, the most rebellious and God himself brings a plague on the people. He does not completely wipe them out, but he, he kills everyone who is responsible for this rebellion that has taken place. But he lets all the people live. The, the, not all the people, but uh, the, the, the multitude of the people continue to live. He doesn't completely wipe them out. He is patient. He is loving. He is caring toward those who have rebelled, uh, at least to some extent. And so we see Moses understands a little bit more about God, that he is a compassionate God. He is a merciful and patient God. He's a forgiving God, but he has limits, and he is going to express those limits and bring about judgment against those who are the most rebellious against him. And, and then he tells him in chapter 34, I'm going to make that covenant with you again. And we're going to establish this covenant. I'm going to go with you to the promised land. And he tells, and, and we see in the remaining chapters of the book that the covenant is renewed and the tabernacle is constructed for God to be with his people to work, for, so that they can worship him yet again. And at the end of the book, as they're constructing the tabernacle, one phrase is repeated over and over and over again. In chapter 40, verse 16, uh, Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. And verse 19, And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. <laughs> again in verse 21, And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and, and the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 23, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 25, and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Uh, and then verse 29, uh, he set the altar burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 32, and they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. Over and over again, you get a picture that they did what God commanded. And because of that, we find at the end of chapter 40, verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And Moses wasn't even able to enter in when the cloud settled on it. 
and the, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So God was living with his people. And, and we'll see more of this described to us throughout the book of Numbers especially. But, but here you see God comes down to be with his people in the tabernacle. So what is the message of this book? Quickly, let's, let's go through this. Notice uh, God redeems a stubborn people and he remains faithful to his promises. That's essentially the first 18 chapters of this book. He redeems a stubborn people. They show it by their complaining to God after he just saved them. And, and it's all about keeping the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then after he redeems them, he seeks a relationship with them through Moses, through the law, and through a tabernacle where they can approach God's throne and uh, through the high priest and through the priesthood that has been set up. Well, why does all of this matter to us? All of this is really a, a picture book of our redemption. As we learn about this whole story of Exodus, we need to understand God is giving us the picture of our salvation. As God saves his people from slavery in the Old Testament, he saves us from slavery in the New Testament. As he used Moses in the Old Testament, he has now a new Moses that redeems us from the spiritual slavery in Jesus. And we saw that in Matthew 2 and 3. You remember how Jesus is pictured as the Israel that comes out of Egypt and into the promised land. And he's also pictured as a new Moses. Uh, who is saved from Herod trying to kill all the, the children under the age of two. So uh, Jesus is a picture of a new Moses. He's a prophet like Moses who fulfills the ultimate exodus of God's people from spiritual slavery. And Jesus himself reveals this to us in Luke 24, 27, where he's speaking to the men on the road to Emmaus, and, and he, he tells them uh, from starting with Moses how all the scriptures were really ultimately about him. This book is revealing to us what Jesus would come and do for us. Throughout the, the New Testament, we have passages that tell us that this Exodus event is very much what we experience when we are saved from our sins. All of these things that are written about Israel in the Old Testament, we must view them differently, not as historic facts that are kind of important to know, but as things that have been written for our instruction and to give us hope as we learn about God working with his people, as we learn about the rebellion of his people, we learn obedience and we learn faithfulness and we learn who God is. That God ultimately wants us to be his treasured possession. Peter says that in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. He wants a relationship with us through a better covenant that he has enacted on better promises. Hebrews 8 verse 6. And he wants us to have continual access to his throne through our mediator. and Through the sacrifice that Jesus has offered us. So that now the tabernacle of God is with man. God is with us. God is, is, is around us all the time that we have access to his throne in the, the spiritual realm, in the holy places. And this is what has been revealed to us was God's intention through the book of Exodus has now come to reality in the New Testament. This is the God that we serve. And, and the book of Exodus is, is really amazing picture for us 
of our redemption, God buying us back, saving us from uh, the slavery that we were in because of our sin, slavery uh, to Satan and, and his ways and his will, and ultimately bringing us into the wilderness, which is where we are, uh, until we make it to the promised land. Well, next time uh, will be about two weeks, and we will go through the book of Leviticus and learn a little bit more about holiness, and then Numbers will learn a little bit more about the wilderness, and really all of this story, we must keep these things in our mind, that these things are written for our instruction so that we have greater hope and, and encouragement as we go through life, as we learn who God is and as we learn who we are. Uh, if, you, if you've not obeyed the gospel and not become a part of God's people, hopefully you can see in this that God wants you. God desires for his people to be a blessing to all the nations, that all the nations might come to see his righteousness, his holiness, and want to be attached to him and all the blessings that he provides. Uh, he makes these promises to everybody who will accept them. As we saw this morning, there are no outsiders to the love of God. He's willing to accept all who will come to him and humbly submit to his will, having faith and trust in him. And that is where we must go. Uh, we must go to God in faith, in love, and desire to obey his will in everything we do.